Hey guys, Seth here on Modern Da Vinci. This podcast goes with the article, Five Ways to Know When Team Building is Urgent. So before I jump into the article, I want to take one step back and talk a little bit about what a team really is. Uh, The reason I want to do this is all the time I see in companies and organizations of all sizes, they're calling things teams that aren't really teams. And it matters because people get frustrated when something that's not a team doesn't get good results and they wonder why because they are expecting it to be a team. So let me just take a step back and talk about this because before you put time and energy to thinking about your teams and trying to decide if they're healthy or not, I think a question that comes before that even sometimes is, am I even looking at something that's a team? So Let's just do the obligatory definition. This is one definition. There's many, but I think this is a good one. A team is people with complementary skills who are committed to a common purpose, performance goals, and an approach for which they hold themselves mutually accountable. So let's kind of pick that apart just a little bit. I'm going to hone in on this. People with complementary skills who are committed to a common purpose. Now, we're talking about something specific. And I say that because what you have often is what I would call maybe a working group or a committee, or even sometimes this happens to what people call leadership teams. So you have a group of people who theoretically are bound to a common purpose, but the truth is they're really not working together with the other people in that group to come to a single output. They are really representing their own interests. So if you bring a a group of people together and they're tasked with something like writing a report, but it's just sort of a side responsibility for them, and then you're surprised when that group doesn't show a real commitment, when there's no real teamwork uh, contribution, because honestly, you know, the output of that group is not something that that person's really bound to or the individuals in the team, it's really not a team. That was not set up to be a true team. It was more of a working group or what could be called a pseudo team, okay? In those groups, yes, there's shared knowledge and experience, but there's truly no shared goal or objective, okay? When that happens and there's no true shared accountability, you usually get low performance impact from those groups, okay? You see this with leadership teams. Let's say you've got a company that's got five divisions and every division has a leader. And those five people, those five division leaders are called a leadership team. And yet their goal that they have is solely focused on their division results. So when those five people sit around the table, they're not acting like a team. They're not all bound to something that they're all contributing to and working toward together. When that happens, you call it a team. It's not really a team. It's a group of people who have competing interests in many cases, okay? When that happens, you end up with groups that have either maybe maybe there's some output, but there's competing interests, so there's actually low sort of energy in the group. Or maybe the group is able to produce something, but they have a lot of negativity in there. Um, There's just all sorts of things that show up that tell you, hey, what I've got here isn't even a real team. So when I'm talking about teams, I'm talking about one where you have a group of people who have clear roles, 
there is a result that this team produces that requires everyone's input and the success of that group of people is tied to whether or not that ultimate output is successful, is delivered. That's a team. So take that context into this post with you. When you're looking at whether or not a team is healthy or performing the way you need it to, start by asking yourself that question. Do I even have a real team? Have I set this up to even be a team? All right. So with that being said, let's look at what it takes to get teams set up, running, and ones that are high-performing. So remember this. Again, high-performing team are those that align to a shared vision. They draw on strengths, each other's strengths, and they get the job done even when there's things in the way. Those teams do not just magically pop up and happen by accident. You can hope for the best. You can try and throw teams together based on personalities or people that seem to get along. That's almost <laughs> not enough. So keep that in mind. Leaders have to create high-performing teams. Okay. Second thing, when you've got a team that's low in its productivity, that has infighting, that's got bad morale, those teams need someone to break them out of that bad environment. Okay? They don't get better by waiting it out and hoping for the best. Those types of teams get better when someone, usually someone in a leadership position, although it can be someone in the team who's tired of it and wants to lead from that position, but something needs to happen. All right, And world-class leaders... They take action to create high-performing teams and sustain them. And when needed, they take action to fix low-performing teams. So since you're here uh, to achieve your goals as a world-class leader, we're going to give you some specific strategies today, especially for taking a look at the teams you have in your organization. Doesn't matter if you're in a small business, giant business, everybody relies on teams some way, to some degree. I want to give you some tools to figure out how can I look at my teams to decide if they're really healthy? And if they're not, what am I going to do about it? So we're going to use a basic framework. It's drawn from the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Highly recommend that you read the book. It's an easy read. It uses a scenario to describe the concepts. What I love about the book is that it's about this struggling company. You've got a new CEO who's coming in. The company is actually suffering from things like diminished sales and growth. And yet what the CEO does right away is says, basically diagnoses, we have no leadership team. Or the team that we have that's supposed to be our leadership team is filled with dysfunction. So she doesn't immediately go try to write a sales plan or a market plan or jump in with growth strategies. She goes right to the heart of the matter, which is the leadership team is not working together to lead this organization. So I love that because I think that's a nice reminder that sometimes real work involves spending time on things like this. So as you go through this story, this CEO breaks down these five different dysfunctions that she sees in the organization and what the impact is. Okay, Those five dysfunctions are absence of trust, fear of conflict, lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability, and inattention to results. And they build on each other. 
Okay, these five dysfunctions are often uh, pictured as a pyramid with trust at the bottom, and then it works its way up. All right. So let's take a look. Let's talk about each of those, and let's say, let's see, what does it look like? Uh, what does trust look like? Uh, for example, what does an absence of trust look like? Uh, how do you spot that? And then what's something you can actually do about it? Okay. So yeah, let's start with trust. Trust, essentially, at its basic level, is that team members have confidence that everybody has each other's best intentions at heart. Okay, it's just like anything in life. If you trust someone, it's usually based on a belief that that person has your best interest in their heart. So a team with trust is one where that's been set. This tone, this culture's been set. We trust each other, okay? When you trust each other, you'll share feedback. You'll treat each other with respect. You won't be afraid to admit that you've made a mistake. You can tell the truth, okay? Because you know, yep, maybe there's a consequence, but these people have my best interest in heart. When that is not there, you can imagine, foundationally, it's a major weakness for a team. And the way that shows up is a lot of different ways. People shy away from feedback. People don't want to ask for help. They hide things. They're very judgmental. They jump to conclusions on each other, whether or not people are trying or whether they have the ability. Essentially, it undermines the, the team's uh, capacity to just work together. So you have to ask yourself, look at your team. If you suspect there's trust problems, look for things. Are team members hiding information from each other? Are they hiding mistakes? Are they quickly passing judgment? You know, this guy's an idiot. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, those are all quick judgments. Are, there holding, are, are team members holding grudges? Are team members literally avoiding each other? Okay. Are people uh, working in isolation and hesitating to help? Okay. If you see these things, you've got a trust problem, and this is urgent to fix. This in place, the team really doesn't have very much of a chance of being successful, certainly has no chance of sustaining success. So it's a pretty simple fix. You, as a leader or as a team member, wherever you are, have to figure out how do you demonstrate vulnerability in the team. You have to set a personal example. Maybe that's you being the one who's willing to, you know, I made a mistake or admit weaknesses or share what you think is going on in the team that's struggling and to do it in an honest and supportive way. You have to let others know in the team it's okay. It's encouraged to be open and honest with each other. Okay. Now, a classic kind of fix for this that actually works pretty good sometimes, even though it might seem kind of cheesy, is to also give team members a chance to share a little bit more about themselves, who they are personally, what's important to them, what their preference is, what their life experience is. Because when you do that, when you hear that from someone, when you get to know someone just a little bit, you're bound to maybe have a little bit more empathy for them or a little bit more insight, okay? Now, one last thought on this. As a leader, so I'm encouraging to figure out what does it mean to be, show vulnerability, your vulner, vulnerability, in a way that sets the tone. Invite the team to be more expressive about themselves as individuals. And then the last one, uh, tip I want to share with you is really hone your listening skills. If you want people to trust you, you have to listen to them. It goes back to what I said. When people think that you have their best interests at heart, they will trust you. Well, how do you even know what my best interests are unless you listen? 
So we've got another great article on Modern Da Vinci about listening. I encourage you to take a look at that and think about what does it take for me as a leader or team member to be a better listener and then earn better trust from my teammates. All right, let's move on to conflict. A high-performing team has the ability to identify conflict. It's important, spot it. And then when conflicts emerge, to handle them sensibly and efficiently. So conflict is not a bad thing. Disagreement, um, you know, uh, frustration, uh, fighting over things, that's natural among a group of people, especially if there's ambitious uh, people in the group, especially if there's something serious at, at stake, a serious project goal, whatever it is, team goal, team output, there's pressure, there's going to be conflict, okay? If you have a team that can't embrace conflict, that's afraid of conflict, they, will, they see conflict as something that's unhealthy and they hide it. So controversial topics don't get discussed. Difficult discussions are avoided. What happens? Well, people start talking behind each other's backs. People start playing games in the team. They complain. There's scheming. There's politics that go on. Okay? So you think you're doing something by avoiding conflict. You think you're creating this harmonious situation. But harmony is only good when it's because you've been able to work through, through things, not because we've buried things. Okay? So a team with the fear of conflict is in serious trouble. This goes back to why we talk about urgency in team building. So you need to look at your team and ask yourself, are team members holding back? Are they withholding their opinions? Uh, do they have a tendency, even, even as individuals or as a group, to bury a controversial topic, gloss over it? Even when it's important, let it, let it slide, hope it works its way out. Do you have people talking behind each other's backs? And then, of course, are team meetings boring? That's a symptom. You're sitting around. Nobody really wants to talk about it. People get out of the meeting. They're griping. They're complaining. These are all things that need to be addressed if you're a leader or, again, even in a team. I encourage you to show your own leadership by figuring out how can I help my team turn the corner. As a leader, so what's the fix? You have got to set the tone for healthy conflict in your team. Okay, If there's something that comes up that needs to be worked through, it's your personal responsibility to not let it slide. Encourage debate. Get people in the room together. Work it out. Now, you may need to manage emotions. You may have to coach your team through this. If someone's unable to, uh, you know, skillfully express themselves because they're really angry or they're closing down, you need to be supportive of them, but you need to let them know. This is your chance. You got to get this out. We got to work through this. You also have to figure out the right balance between you taking control of the conflict, letting your team work through the conflict. There's a right balance on that. How do we let, how do I let these guys have good discussion, uh, work through things, and come to conclusion without me constantly having to be the one to step in. So you need to ask yourself these questions. How do you make this happen? All right, it starts with you. Like with everything else in leadership, it starts with you. So we also have a post on the site uh, that looks a little bit, it's just a beginning look at the idea of emotional intelligence. That post is called Conquering People Problems. Emotional intelligence is a strength, or if you develop emotional intelligence, it's almost like uh, an asset you have to have to be effective at handling conflict, being self-aware, having good self-regulation. So I encourage you to take a look at that. If you find yourself either shrinking when conflict comes up 
or getting too aggressive. Neither of those really are the best way to address it. You've got to be thoughtful and skillful in managing that. Okay, so take a look at that and see what you can learn about what you can try next. All right, let's talk about commitment. Commitment is when you've got a group of people in a team setting that have clarity on their mission and goals and buy in on their role, each member of this team, knowing what they need to do to contribute to success. Okay, when a team has commitment, they'll make decisions. Okay, even if not everybody agrees, even if there's not perfect consensus, they'll make a decision. There's a shared confidence that everyone is walking in the same direction. Okay, when there's a lack of commitment, the team becomes paralyzed by uncertainty and ambiguity. Okay, this is easiest to see when you've got a team that's got differing opinions and they can't make a decision. They spend all their time trying to reach a perfect consensus. And the reason, the underlying reason is they're not agreed on what the team is actually trying to accomplish. They're not uh, uniform on what the priorities are. So you need to ask yourself, if you're worried about commitment in your team, you have to ask, are we on the same page? Are there, is there agreement or is there disagreement and confusion on what's most important? Do we never make a decision because we're worried about appeasing everybody? Do we have constant second guessing? And is there an overriding fear of failure, one that's too powerful, one that's actually damaging the team? Okay. So if you sense that there's a commitment problem in your team, it usually goes back to the way the team was set up in the first place. Okay. The best way to set up the team in a first way is through a structured process called chartering. Now, for whatever reason, many, many, many of my clients that I've worked with, for some reason, they feel like chartering is too formal and awkward. What they're doing is making a major mistake. This is, this is a perfect example of leaving team building to chance. Chartering says, let's sit down as a group of people. Let's write down our goals for this team. Let's talk about what our responsibilities, strengths, and weaknesses are. Let's talk about how we make decisions. And let's write it down. Okay? So when you do that, it creates agreement, even if it doesn't, even if some people aren't 100% comfortable with all of these things, at least it was discussed. What are the values of this team? What are the norms we hold each other to? It can be something as simple as, do we agree to show up to meetings on time? If we don't, what are we going to do? Okay, so as a leader, you don't have to have the answer to all of those things, but you do need to facilitate the discussion and make sure the team does reach agreement. Okay, then as you move forward, even if there isn't perfect agreement about a certain decision, you do your best to make decisions, you do it in the name of shared priorities, you involve everyone, you communicate effectively, but you don't just iterate endlessly trying to find perfect consensus. One more kind of tip for this. If you're a leader and you're struggling on how to get commitment from a group of people, try our technique of asking powerful questions. This is sitting people down and instead of telling them what to do, telling your team exactly how they have to do it, you're inviting them through asking well-formed questions. How can you guys, what do you want to do? How can you contribute to this? What are your ideas? When you facilitate that, it fosters ownership. You're giving them a chance. You're giving them, you're asking their input. So 
Sometimes as a leader, we make it too hard on ourselves. We try to come up with all the answers. Use questions as another tool to help you foster commitment within your team. All right. We got two more to go. Accountability. In a team setting, accountability is when team members are willing to call each other on their performance or any other behaviors that could hurt the team. Okay, when you have accountable teams, there's standards and there's expectation. It's like peer pressure built into the team. Okay, the mindset, because remember, trust is in place and our shared priorities in place is I'm not afraid to speak up because I'm looking at our team's ability to be successful. You're, you are an important piece of that process. So I'm helping you and I'm helping the team when I speak up and I'm willing to come to you and say, hey, this isn't right. We're not meeting our standards. You're not pulling your full weight. It's done in a way of support, okay? When there's avoidance of accountability in, te- in a team, it shows up in the form of inconsistency, okay? You got one person over here doing a bang-up job, everything's perfect, they're working double time, and you got another person over here who's not paying attention to details, you know, they have a totally different level of engagement, and you end up with this imbalance, okay? And as you can imagine, that imbalance doesn't last very uh, long. You just go back to when you had a project in college and one person did all the work, there's resentment, okay? And instead of there being peer pressure among each other to raise your game, to, to be like the high performer or whatever these agreed to standards are, it's just negativity and it's not sustainable. Again, can't have someone constantly doing all the work while other people aren't chipping in. And there's no mechanism among the team for them to call each other on that. So ask yourself, look at your teams. Do I have a subset of team members doing all the heavy lifting? Will my teammates let each other down? Or or does it not bother them if they don't follow through on their commitment? They're just willing to just, eh, it is what it is. Is there resentment among team members when it comes to the work and the quality? Okay, and are team members hesitant to be uncomfortable? Okay, when I mean uncomfortable, say something uh, to provide honest, authentic, candid feedback. Are they unwilling to do that? Now, think about this again. We're building up our pyramid, and when trust is in place, when commitment's in place, you have the foundation for accountability. But as a leader, you still need to take action to make sure accountability is present. Okay. Usually, the best way to do that is to have agreement on standards. So do you need to have a discussion on, again, on what are our expected behaviors? What is our expected quality standards? What do we expect in terms of performance? Do we expect everybody to be here at the crack of dawn, work till late at night? Or do we expect something else? Whatever it is, if the team buys into uh, those standards and they're written, they're expressed in a way that people truly understand, then you have the foundation for accountability. So as a leader, again, this kind of goes back to the same thing uh, we talked about with conflict. You need to be ready to step in. Okay, If you have team members who aren't holding up their end of the bargain, your job is to approach them and address that. In a perfect world, you create a culture of accountability where the team members help you with that. They call each other out as well. Okay, This is a group of people who decides they're not going to let each other down. And when they are letting each other down, they're there not to break the other person down, but to let them know and support them. All right, last, results. Now, bottom line is, what's the point of a team? It's to produce results. 
So we're really honing in on the big thing here, the big outcome. A results-driven team is not easily distracted, okay? Because the people in the team are focused on the prize. They're focused on the outcome, right? They're not distracted by, uh, you know, whatever the latest and greatest thing is that might pull their attention. They see the result and they're working toward that. A team that has inattention to results, what you see is people prioritizing their own interests, their own gain, their own status, their ego, accolades, okay? And in that environment, distraction is going to happen. People are going to get distracted because, you know what, the big picture was interesting, but the real picture I care about is myself. A team like that, when the going gets tough, might fall apart. Okay, as soon as people are challenged, if they're challenged to do something that's not perfectly in alignment with all their personal ego and goals, they're not going to follow through. All right? And on a team like that, something else you see is when you have someone who's truly achievement-oriented, they get burned out. They want to go. Okay? So ask yourself, you know, when it comes to a results focus, do, do my team members prioritize their own goals over the team goals? Is ego a driving force? Are, are team members more worried about their personal status and recognition than delivering on the outcomes? And does the team assess success and failure as individuals or as a whole? Okay, I worked in an organization before where we had teams, maybe they were successful, maybe not, but your individual performance review, you could still get an outstanding review because you know people thought you were great. But the truth is, if you're in an important position on a team that fails, you know, there's got to be some accountability to that. The whole reason you're there working on this team is to produce a result. So as a leader, when you start thinking about results, you got to check these other dysfunctions we've talked about since we're kind of at the top of the pyramid here, okay? But there's two other strategies that you can try. One, make your goals public, okay? If you were, uh, you see this sometimes with people trying to get healthy or lose weight. And when the goal is kind of hidden, it's easy for them to fall off track. When they make it public, they tend to be more engaged, right? People are watching, right? And so you become more committed to achieving that goal, right? And then think about, I know this may be tough in some organizations, but how do you tie individual performance evaluations to team outcomes, right? We're looking to recognize and reward those who prioritize the team results, the theme here is when the team loses, everyone loses, okay? In, in a team that's results-focused, individuals don't think, well, the team lost, but I won. There is no such thing. So we covered a lot, but just remember, if you've got a struggling team, you need to come up with a couple concrete actions. Try to see which of those dysfunctions may be at the forefront of the problems and start there. Start with trust. Work your way up. One thing you can do is run the team through this process. You can say to them, how's our trust? Here's, here's the definition of trust in a team. Do we have trust? Let, let the team discuss it, okay? It's a great conversation to have. It's a great starting point to build trust, to start working on commitment and accountability. And if you're really stuck, sometimes you need to ask for help. I can tell you personally, doing team coaching work, there's teams that are really entrenched in certain behaviors. Um, uh, you may, as a leader, be in the middle of it and trust is destroyed to the point where you can't really uh, lead the other people out of it. 
So don't be afraid if you have access to a third-party coach uh, to have them come in. It can be basic team building that can be effective, or it can actually be team coaching. In a team coaching setting, uh, you may be in a meeting and the coach is literally observing what they're seeing. So if someone is uh, engaging in a non-trusting behavior, if there's an evident lack of commitment or accountability that's showing up, the coach can call the team on it and even point out how the individual members are contributing. Sounds like it can be a tough thing to do, and you know sometimes tough medicine is what's needed to make a breakthrough. Um, I've personally seen it to be extremely effective, and I've seen teams make radical turnarounds trying an intervention like that. So when you're a leader, sometimes the team is struggling. You really need to do what it takes to turn things around. Again, the whole premise of this post, teams really are at the heart of successful organizations. High-performing teams have an unbelievable, sometimes unmeasurable impact, and low-performing teams, it's easy to underestimate how much damage they can do, not only in terms of their productivity, but in terms of morale, turnover, and other things like that that go along with it. So thanks for listening to the post uh, and the podcast. I hope you found it helpful. Uh, Jump in our forum, ask your questions, comment on the post. Uh, For our premium members, we're here to coach you through this. Uh, come, Come to us with your specific problems. We're here to help. We'd love to talk to you about what you can do, what are the right actions for you, and we want to support you uh, to move forward and to make the most of the learning you have here with us. Thanks, and talk to you next time.